back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the Fantasy Phenom, Alex Lott. We're here today to dive into some deeper prospects. Okay, we've gone through the first two rounds in Superflex Odyssey Leagues on the channel. We can get into the third round, but at that point, it's just pick your poison. We just be talking about guys that we like because there's so many question marks or so many red flags with these prospects. The hit rate is under 5% for third round names. Really, it's more of a volume play, but Alex, you're going to get into our favorite third and fourth round rookies. Yeah, I'm excited. And, and these sleepers do matter, believe it or not. Um, Steph, I know we just went through, yeah, round one and two. Uh, of these Superflex rookie drafts. So check those out on our channel if you haven't done so already. We're not going to get into an entire round three video, but we did want to throw out some names that we really, really are high on in round three. If you want to see our full round three rankings, like we're posting those in our Discord. So Steph and I are updating those every couple of days, it seems like, as we get new information. So join that Discord in the link below if you haven't done so already. But yeah, Steph, I'm hyped to get into some of these, these deep flyers because these are how you can really turn your dynasty team around. If you're competing, you get value here. You kind of set yourself up to stay at the top of your league. If you're trying to rebuild and you can hit on some third round picks, I mean, that's what can set you apart and really turn your rebuild around much, much faster than if you're relying on these, you know, mid to high first round picks. Exactly. Exactly. In the first round, you really want to go for those safe options. You know, we were talking about earlier today, Isaiah Spiller is becoming less and less safe. The farther and farther he falls down these draft boards, I'm seeing him right now, mid-third round. Hopefully doesn't fall to day three. I don't think that'll happen, but for a lot of these guys, draft capital will be the deciding piece. But if you think back to our sleeper prospects last year, we had Simi Fihoko, who's an interesting one, probably not going to hit at all, even though the Cowboys wide receiver room is clearing out. Javion Hawkins was a deeper wide receiver that we liked. He's Running been back. kind of floating around trying to make a roster. Didn't get the draft capital. Kellen Mond was on that list, but our biggest hit, and Alex, kudos to you for this, Davis Mills. You were on the Davis Mills hype train. You were smashing Davis Mills in the third round. Again, the hit rate on these players is low, but if you can find one, right, that's how you parlay. I mean, if you got Elijah Mitchell, took Pat Fryermuth in the third, took Davis Mills in the third, either you can keep that piece on your roster or move it to accrue value. I guarantee you can move Davis Mills for a second round pick, early second round pick, and turn him into a George Pickens or re-roll into a Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Jamison Williams, depending on landing spot and how all that shakes out this year, which would be a huge win. So it's either a value accrual play, an arbitrage play, but at this point, you're looking for upside shots. Okay, If there's guys that have question marks with their production or they're small school players, Alex, how should we be thinking about these third and fourth round rookie picks? Because a lot of times, you know, we try to trade them and try to get them off of our rosters. But a lot of times people aren't buying those picks because everyone knows the hit rate so low. Yeah, I think you said it best. I mean, you want to look at guys with just no sample size in their college production or something weird. Maybe they they transferred schools and they're a little bit older. Simi Fajoko went on his Mormon mission, took a year off. The yeah, breakout stuff, age was bad. Stuff happened. So, like, yeah, maybe they transferred and they're they're coming out a little bit older or maybe they had an injury or something like that. Maybe small school guy is a great example. Elijah Mitchell, a fantastic example of that. So those are a lot of things you want to look for. Just range of outcomes, a lot of unknown. And you've always said it on our show, Steph, there's a lot of upside in the unknown. For all the downside, there's also the upside. So a perfect example of this, I'm just going to bring up our home dynasty league that you and I are in, our big one. 
and we nailed our third round picks last year. I picked up Chuba Hubbard at the 304. Um, ended up flipping that into a second and a third. I picked up Pat Fryermuth in the back of the third. You picked up Elijah Mitchell in the third. And so these are all names that we were able to turn into value. There's some misses in there as well. There's guys like, you know, Kylan Hill that didn't hit. Jermar Jefferson, if you took a flyer on him, he didn't hit. Um, guys like Nico Collins, though, are still really interesting. So when I think about third rounders for this year, another thing I want to look for outside of just the profiles is the draft capital. Sometimes you have players that have absolutely no draft hype and all of a sudden, they're getting picked on day two. Think about Josh Palmer last year. I don't think we talked about him one time on the show. I didn't hear his name anywhere. All of a sudden, he's a day two pick to the Chargers, and he actually flashes. He shows some upside. He was a great stash. I got him in the fourth round in a league, and he's someone you could turn into that. He's still a little bit of unknown in his situation. Khalil Herbert is kind of the same way, a running back prospect that wasn't really talked about, got some draft capital. And all of a sudden, Khalil Herbert is a guy who comes in and he's a high-value handcuff in some of these leagues. So when we're looking at some of these names, you want to look for unfamiliar situations, incomplete resumes, and then you want to follow some of that draft capital with the names that you haven't heard covered as much. Because at the end of the day, if an NFL team, whether the talent is there or not, we say it all the time, talent, draft capital, landing spot is what really puts the full profile together for these rookie picks. If we're unsure about the talent, but an NFL team is committing and investing that draft capital in these players, then that shows they're probably going to get an opportunity on the field. Once we know landing spots, that's when the third round will really start to come together. You know, if you look back, I remember two years ago, you were way out in front saying Leonard Fournette is a cut candidate on the Jacksonville Jaguars. You were like, hey, everybody go pick up Ryquel Armstead. Of course, James Robinson ended up being the one who actually mm -hmm. was that heir behind Lenny to get you know, a t massive volume on the ground and through the air, but little inklings like that, little salary cap crunch situations, depth chart situations are going to come into play once we know these landing spots. But let me get into my first sleeper prospect in this year's class. And he's actually starting to get some hype. You see his name out there creeping up into the second round on some of these rankings. And it's the Elijah Mitchell comp. It's Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State University out of the Missouri Valley Conference. So right away, <laughs> big red flag is that the level of competition for Pierre Strong was not great. And he didn't even have any like big bowl games. They didn't play any SEC teams. You, you have some of that like the BYUs of the world. They'll play a Tennessee every once in a while. We didn't even have that with Pierre Strong. And we missed Pierre Strong in our 90-minute breakdown. We went through all the running backs before the combine. This guy wasn't even on anyone's radar. And then Blaze is a 4-3-2 at the combine. We're like, whoa, 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 who is this kid? Let's dig into his college stats. And they're juicy. It is a juicy resume. Had 1,100 rushing yards as a freshman. Then had another 1,000 rushing yard season. And doubled his production in the passing game. Got a 7% target share as a sophomore. Was then used a lot more through the air. 12% target share as a junior in a shortened COVID season. And then as a senior, so this is a four-year player, four-year small school guy. Pretty much all small school guys are going to be four-year players. But Pierre Strong had 1,673 rushing yards, a 92nd percentile, seven yards per carry. Yeah. Super efficient, super explosive. Had another 150 yards through the air, 18 touchdowns. And we're not talking about some big bruiser back. This is a explosive you know, kind of skinny running back, but has smooth hands. It's really that Elijah Mitchell type of player. He's actually bigger than Elijah Mitchell. Pierre Strong is 5'11", 207 pounds. 
this is not, I'm not comping. I'm not making any crazy comparisons to this player, but just from a play style perspective, I see a little bit of Reggie Bush in the Pierre Strong mm. profile from what I saw on film, his play style, the way that he moves, maybe some Jerick McKinnon as another comp for just a bursty pass catching back. If he gets any sort of draft capital, we saw Elijah Mitchell go in the sixth round. I am in on Pierre Strong for the upside when we're sitting in the third rounds of these Superflex rookie drafts. Yeah, I, I like Pierre Strong a lot. And it's the comp is Elijah Mitchell because we said this last season. It was like, hey, this is a small school guy and the red flag. I'm glad you called out the red flag with some of my guys. I'll call out what the red flag is as well, just so we know that going in. Like, why are they going to be there in round three or round four? And so for Pierre Strong, it's like, yeah, the level of competition might not have been there. But with Elijah Mitchell last year, we said if he gets draft capital and comes into a training camp and he balls out there, he got the opportunity to go head-to-head with Trey Sermon, who was a third-round pick. And if he clearly is out playing a third-round pick, it says, hey, this small school production was not a fluke. This guy's legit. So Pierre Strong, if he can even be a day-three pick, he's probably going to get that same kind of opportunity. And that's what you got to cling on to in these round threes and round fours in your rookie drafts. But Steph, I'm going to go ahead and, and flip it to my first guy, which is another running back. I know you and I love, if you have the bench spots, if you have taxi squad spots, load up on these third and fourth round picks and just start spraying running backs in this draft because most of them probably aren't going to hit, but there's going to be a couple that do. And a guy I've been all over is Tyler Beatty out of Missouri. And he's a four-year player. And the red flag with him is one, his age. He's going to be 24 going into this season. And two, he's a little bit undersized. So it's not a death sentence kind of undersized, but it's a little bit smaller than you'd hope for in a guy that has the potential to be a workhorse at the combine. He measured in at 5'8", 197, which is actually not bad. Um, You know, that's Kenny Gainwell size, and I'll get into that comp a little bit more later. But Tyler Beatty also came in and had a fantastic combine. I mean, a 4'4", 5'40", yard dash, elite speed for the running back position, good enough explosive metrics as well. If you look at his production at Missouri, he was stuck behind Larry Roundtree on the depth chart until his senior year, but he was always a really strong receiving back. 28 or more receptions, 330 or more receiving yards in three straight seasons, and then he took over in his senior year and went absolutely crazy. 268 carries, 1,604 yards, and 18 total touchdowns against SEC competition. That's six yards per attempt in the SEC, and you got to think about this as well, like Missouri's at the bottom of the SEC, so it's not like he had a bunch of five-star recruits on his offensive line blocking for him either. When you look at his tape, he is that small build. He's fast and he's quick, but he runs with a purpose. Like, this dude runs with some power as well, which you love to see for a smaller back. In that last season, 54 receptions, a 17% target share, which for the running back position is just That's crazy, absolutely man. incredible. So. When you look at the the percentage of the team's offense, 43% of the team's offense, that's rushing and receiving yards. So that's a 94th percentile dominator rating. I mean, this guy was the Missouri offense. So everything ran through him. In the SEC, that's what you love to see. And especially for a guy that came in just under 200 pounds, the fact he could carry the load for an SEC offense says, hey, maybe he could have potential to be a little bit more than a scat back, although that's probably what he's going to be drafted to do right off the bat. So one more shout out for Tyler Beatty is he was also, (laughs) I found this out today. He was an SEC scholar athlete of the year. So this is a smart guy. He's going to come in. He's going to work hard. He's going to commit to whatever playbook, whatever system he's in. You love to see that out of these guys as well. Just another little cherry on top of his profile. So I think Tyler Beatty could be everything that we wanted from Kenny Gainwell last season. I mean, Gainwell came in, he had some flashes during his rookie season, but I think Tyler Beatty should be at least in that same conversation 
And it seems like he's being totally forgotten about. I, I know Gainwell last year before the draft, before he dropped to round five. I mean, we were talking about him right up there with Javante Williams. I mean, he was going early second round, drops to round five. So for Tyler Beatty, it all comes down to draft capital. If he can get into round four, even round five, I'm going to be happy to take a shot on him in the third round of these rookie drafts. And to me, I got to throw this out there. The dream landing spots for me with Beatty would be in Arizona or a Buffalo. Buffalo tried to bring in McKissick. He backed out. They're clearly looking for another receiving type back there, someone to help out Devin Singletary. Arizona, he could come in and play a clear Chase Edmonds role right off the bat in a good offense. So landing spots, it's more speculation. We have no real ability to project that, especially in day three of the draft. But Beatty, track the draft capital because if he can get round four, round five, I'm going to be super bullish on Beatty for these rookie drafts. He pretty much had that that senior year season that I was freaking out about Pierre Strong in the SEC. So, yeah, Beatty's a fun prospect. I, he, I think he is going to be stuck as that scat back role, but he, he does run like a madman. He is not afraid of contact. And you watch and one more thing. Play. One more thing. When we talk about these small backs, if you're getting a guy in round three who has a Naheem Hines career or a Giovanni Bernard career, and like they kind of fluctuate in and out of being a, a PPR RB2 and they're a guy you can plug in as your RB3 or a flex or something like that, those kind of guys in round three, I mean, that's returning on value for where you're getting them in these rookie drafts. So even if that is the outcome for, for Beatty uh, or some of these other guys, we're going to talk about a couple more undersized guys on our list, a couple more running backs as well, that's still a good outcome. You don't have to hit the Austin Eckler every time we're talking about, you know, late round running backs. And we're seeing the value bump that Elijah Mitchell has received right now going as a Mm -hmm. mid-range RB2 in dynasty leagues per keep trade cut. I flipped Elijah Mitchell for Amari Cooper on a wide receiver needy roster recently. I believe you and I did that deal. And then you oh, yeah. were able to flip Mitchell for somebody else. So, anyways, let's stick in the SEC. Let's talk about these running backs. This is such a deep running back class. We say that now and then watch none of these guys get draft capital and the floor falls out from under them. But for where it stands right now, this is actually a guy that I am seeing getting mocked in the third round in some of these drafts, fourth round sometimes as well. A four-star prospect out of high school, a four-year SEC running back. So just like Tyler Bay, he's going to come in older, but – played well in the SEC. It's Damian Pierce out of Florida. And really where the hype started to build for Damian Pierce was at the Senior Bowl. He showed out of the Senior Bowl. He was the talk of the town of the running back position. While he was at Florida, Damian Pierce never took over the backfield, was never used as a workhorse. I view him as the poor man's Isaiah Spiller, where he's kind of always in this rotation. We like Spiller right now going first round, hoping he gets draft capital. What would you like to see? about Damian Pierce as a 5% target share his last two years. It's fine. But from what I saw on tape, he is a great pass catcher. You know, we're talking about a guy here that had very limited carries. 69 carries as a freshman, 54 as a sophomore, and then 100 his last two seasons. Never had more than 600 rushing yards in a season. But but he was one of the most efficient running backs in the SEC three out of those four years. Five and a half yards per carry average. And he put up numbers as a senior on an offense in Florida – with no real threats at receiver after Kadarius Toney, Kyle Pitts, and Kyle Trask at quarterback all went pro. So this was a guy that was asked to do a lot his senior year. The major hole in his profile is why didn't he come out early? Why didn't he ever take over the backfield? Some people are going to see it as a death sentence. He has a problem. From what I've researched over the last couple of years, the University of Florida has used this committee. 
just like Texas A&M, and people were willing to overlook some of the lack of production for Isaiah Spiller. So if you like Spiller, you got to like Pierce. And at 5'10", 218 pounds, Pierce is a big back. I think it's going to be a guy that the NFL will see as a grinder to start his career. And I think he has the upside if he gets used more as a weapon because he was really versatile at Florida. He was a great pass blocker at Florida. That's what impressed a lot of people at the senior bowl was his pass blocking drills. Took 25% of his college snaps from the slot. Also lined up out wide. So this guy was being used as a receiver. Had an 88% catch rate on his target. So super efficient receiver as well. Looks really, really smooth. And that's some of the most fun tape I believe that you'll see in this class. He could get thrust into a workhorse role if the chips fall his way. Ran a 4-5-9-40. It's a bit weak, but it's still upper percentile, 57th percentile speed score when you adjust his 40 time to his weight. And purely from a film perspective, I love the way Pierce plays. Stylistically, I would comp him to a Kareem Hunt or a Mark Ingram, a very physical big back, but a great pass catcher. Has a little bit of Devonta Freeman in him. One of the most fun highlights of this entire class is when Damian Pierce breaks off a 15-yard run in the red zone, loses his helmet on the goal line, and just has no regard for his body, for his health, just throws himself into the end zone, ends up scoring on that play. I'm just praying that Pierce doesn't fall into late day three or, or just get absolutely banished to the shadow run by draft capital because this is a player I like a lot just from the way that he's built. There's just some questions in the college production. Yeah, it's it's tough with Pierce because he's in a, just another one of these running backs that's in that round three range for us. That's it's hard to project. There's there's guys we like, there's play styles we like, and all these guys do have red flags. I actually recently moved Pierce down in my rankings from early round three to late round three. To me, it was less about Pierce. It was a little bit uh, in my head about some below average athleticism, which we already kind of knew, but this is a, a big, strong power back. So that's not necessarily a death sentence. And for me, I think it was more about some of these other players that I've just started to like a little bit more. I, I definitely prefer more of the electric elusive style of running back than the power back. And that bit me last year when I was down on Ramondre Stevenson, um, who was another one of these big power back type guys. So it actually showed a lot of ability in the passing game as well, which we'd love to see from Pierce when he gets to the pro level. But to me, it's all going to come down to some of the draft capital. I know we're going to keep keep beating that drum and see where these guys land. But late, to me, if late third round would make Damian Pierce very similar to Damian Harris, a guy that's not super impressive from his 40 or his combine mm. metrics. Damian Harris ran a 4.57, 61st mm -hmm. percentile, nothing to write home about. But at 5'10, 216 pounds, went 23rd in the third round. There's a lot to like there. There's a lot of value there for a guy very similar to Damian Harris if he gets that draft capital. For sure. And the 4-5-9, I mean, he is in that range. You mentioned Kareem Hunt. Harris is a good example. I know Aaron Jones didn't have a very fast 40 time. There's David Montgomery was in the 4-6s, I think. So there's a lot of NFL running backs that, I mean, they're just good players. They're big players. They're power runners. And if they're in that 4-5, 4-6 range, it's absolutely fine. So not a death sentence for him by any means. I moved him down just as a matter of preference, but you lay out some good points there. And if he can get the draft capital and he can go to a landing spot where they can use him almost like the Patriots did use Ramondre Stevenson last year, like a backup mm. type guy, use him in some different ways, maybe try to utilize some of that pass catching skill set. He'll be a lot more interesting to me. But Seth, I'm going to switch it back to the wide receiver spot, or I guess over to the wide receiver spot for the first time today. Um, and talk about Wandell Robinson. We are going to keep it in the SEC. Wandell Robinson out of Kentucky is a player that was a couple months ago going like mid-second. And all of a sudden, 
he's gotten faded a lot. The red flag with Robinson is his size. He was listed at 5'10", 185 at Kentucky. We already thought the size was a concern. Comes in at 5'8", 178, which <laughs> you got to know for some of these small guys where the size is the concern. They're always like on their tippy toes and they're, you know, got like a five pound dumbbell in their hoodie pocket when they're doing their way in. But this was this was pretty concerning to see him come in at 5'8", 178. But I really love Wandell Robinson. He's going in a lot of third rounds right now. I've seen anywhere from early to late third round. He's an early third for me. I'm happy to take him there. But listen, I get that he has small size, but that's not a death sentence for the NFL. Devontae Smith, six foot, like 170 last year. Obviously, he's a Heisman winner, so that's different. But if we look at some other slot guys in the NFL right now, I mean, Wondell Robinson is primarily a slot receiver. You got Hunter Renfro, who's at 5'10", 184. That's not that much bigger. And the comp for me and the actual player comp for Wondell Robinson, people aren't going to like this. It's Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore's 5'9", 178. Wondell Robinson's 5'8", 178. When I see Wandale Robinson's tape, he's a slot guy who I think has the potential to develop the outside receiver aspect of his game, similar to what I said about Elijah Moore last year when Elijah Moore's player comp was an Antonio Brown. So I see that whole hierarchy kind of happening here with Wandale Robinson because this is a 21-year-old player that broke out at age 18 at Nebraska. He ends up transferring over to Kentucky where he takes his game to the next level. Last year, 104 receptions over 1,300 yards, seven touchdowns, and this is on offense that doesn't pass very much. So he had a 39% target share at Kentucky. <sighs> Silly. And where he did disappoint in terms of that size, he made up for it with his speed, a 4-4-4, 40-yard dash. Also check the box on his vertical jump at 34 and a half inches. His broad jump was 118, which at his size is pretty good. So the explosive measurables are there as well. And he's an incredible route runner, similar to an Elijah Moore, just has a knack for getting open on the field out of the slot. So I talked about the size with Elijah Moore in that comp. They actually have very similar speed. Uh, speed. Elijah Moore is a hair faster, but it's very close. Elijah Moore's uh, pro day adjusted 40 time was a 4-4. He ran a 4-3-5. A lot of times, you know, you want to add 0.05, at least, you know, per player, playerprofiler.com. That's what they like to do because it's not always laser and things like that. So speed is very similar. They both had early breakouts. They both had elite college production at the SEC level. I'm consistently seeing Wanda Robinson drafted on day two. I've seen him as early as mid round two. So if that happens and he gets a good landing spot, I don't see why we're going to think of Wanda Robinson that different this year than we thought of Elijah Moore last year, who was going early second, sometimes, you know, at the 112 in some of these drafts. So I think Robinson's going to be a problem in the NFL. He's a great route runner. He's fast. He's quick. He has the college production. And I think he's going to make an impact right away as a slot receiver. So if people are fading him because of the size and they're going to tell me they like Elijah Moore, I'm just happily going to scoop up Wando Robinson in the early third round and watch one of these prospects absolutely develop and boom at the NFL level um, because there's nothing really not to like about his game. Yeah, you you sold me on him with the draft capital. I mean, if he does get, like we saw last year, a lot of undersized guys got drafted way too high. Dwayne Eskridge, 2-2 two, 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 Atwell bro. was another one in the what third round to the Rams. Second round. Second round to the Rams. It Good hurts. God. Wanda Robinson could see, and what we've been talking about with this class, is that GMs are going to see a lot of what they perceive as the next Tyreek Hill in this class. Mm. From at the high end, Wilson and Olave, it's kind of slender speedsters that could do a lot to Jameson Williams, to – uh, Jahan Dotson, who's under 180 pounds. Wondell Robinson is probably the last. Maybe Calvin Austin are the last two crazy speedsters. There's a uh, Thornton who also ran the 4-2 set 
what was it, the record at the 40 or something close to it. So there are a lot of speedsters in this class, and the NFL's coveting that for their offenses. I think these these scouts and GMs and, and coaches say, if I just had that speed, I could mold this player. And so we'll see what happens with Wanda Robinson, but in the third round, he's definitely a dart throw. I'm willing to take. But let me stick at the wide receiver position. I'm, I'm going to throw out a guy that's probably pretty chalk, honestly, if we're talking about third-round picks. But I want to talk about why I've slowly risen on Jalen Tolbert as we've gotten closer to the draft. Right now on NFL Mock Draft Database, they compile all the quote-unquote expert mocks that are put out. Some of them are put out by the team blogs and stuff like that. So I'm not putting too much stock into this. But right now, Jalen Tolbert, 77th off the board. Consensus thoughts from all these, these mock drafts. That's mid-third round. So this is a guy that impressed with the Senior Bowl. You started to hear the drumbeat come out, just like Damian Pierce. The Senior Bowl is starting to become more and more of a fixture, and I'm not sure if it's because of the content creators that are looking for something to talk about, so they're starting to hype up these Senior Bowl guys, or if the scouts are actually valuing that as another opportunity to see these players play against somewhat close to NFL competition. I know a lot of them are four-year guys, so it doesn't mean that much, but we're talking about four-year guys, Jalen Tolbert, is one of those coming out of South Alabama. So a small school player coming out of the Sun Belt Conference, but for a four-year small school guy, he did exactly what he was supposed to do in college if he is a stud receiver. He redshirted his freshman year. So he ended up breaking out at 20 and a half years old. Breakout age is 40th percentile. So that hurts. That's definitely a red flag that you see with the Jalen Tolbert on top of the lack of competition is the late breakout. But after his freshman season, he did have a true breakout season as a sophomore, 23% target share, 521 yards. His yards per reception was one of the best in the country, but a brutal 41% catch rate. So he needed to tweak some things. Then comes in as a junior and goes nuts. 32.5% target share, 1,085 yards, eight touchdowns, and then built on that even more as a senior, a 33.4% target share, 1,474 yards, was two catches away from 1,500 yards, put up another eight touchdowns, and was responsible for 51% of South Alabama's production. That's a 96 percentile dominator rating, courtesy of playerprofiler.com. And has a career dominator of 44%. So this is a player that was carrying a passing game, which is something you would love to see from a guy who's playing against a lower-level competition. He should be dominating them, and he was for his last two years in college and had an insane level of efficiency his senior year. His yards per team pass attempt was 3.63. That's one of the best you'll see ever in recent years. Jalen Tolbert was uber efficient in 2021. If we're just looking at yards per team pass attempt, which you get dive into the analytics, the Devi community, that is one of the major, major stats that correlates to a receiver breakout. Of course, draft capital is going to be the number one if we're just looking at correlating factors. Uh, as well as breakout age, target share, those kind of things. But the target share was there for Jalen Tolbert. And I I dug into his tape a little bit. Seven receptions, 143 yards, and a touchdown against Tennessee this past season. It's amazing tape to watch. He's really wowing people with contested catches, which is actually kind of a concern, right? You want to see these receivers separate consistently. I don't know if Tolbert's doing that. And I think if he doesn't fire at the next level, it's going to be the primary reason why. He just cannot get separation. But – His contested catches are amazing to watch, and we're seeing, whether it's Mike Williams or even Drake London in this class, like there is value to be had for the contested catch monsters. And at 6'1", 194, Tolbert can play out wide for sure. He was fifth in the country in deep receptions per PFF. 
and made a lot of his hay on screens and short passes across the middle. So this is also a yak receiver. This is a guy that can play outside, runs a 4-4-9. He's above the 50% threshold in speed and burst percentiles. There's almost no correlation to combine with wide receivers anyway. So I'm not going to overreact to his athletic measurables. He wasn't a freak of nature like a Calvin Johnson by any means. But I think this can at least help us figure out what type of role that a player like Jalen Tolbert or any of these receivers really what type of role they're going to play. You know, the, the player profiler comp has Adam Thielen there for Jalen Tolbert. I think from a play style perspective and, and the way he's built, I see him as kind of a less refined, small school version of C.D. Lamb. You know, he can play big mm-hmm. slot. He was great on the outside in college, good all over the field, but not going to be like a true burner, field stretcher type, but also not quite like a, a Mike Evans go up and get it type receiver. So he's somewhere in the middle. He's kind of a hybrid between the athletic X and the slot separator. And the fact that he is kind of versatile is something that could get him a spot on the field, which he needs because he's not going to be a big special teamer. So I like the versatility. To me, Jalen Tolbert is the arbitrage play on Christian Watson, a four-year player that is probably going to get draft capital from a small school. Yeah, you lay out a good case for Tolbert. And it's it's really it's tough because – with someone like this, you almost think to yourself, it, is he elite at anything? Like when I think about Adam Thielen as a player, that's, that's a good comp. And it's when I think about Adam, Adam Thielen, it's like, what is he, what's he amazing at? Like, what's he elite at? People would say route running because that's like the one thing that people just don't measure as easily. And it's the easy out for a guy like Adam Thielen, but he just has a way to get it done. And he's good at everything. He's versatile. Like you said, he can do it all. He can play the slot. He can play the outside. I mean, Thielen for no, me I now, say at, that, this point, at this point in his career, it's the red zone ability to get open with a guy like Adam Thielen. Well, you know, one of the things we liked about Terrace Marshall was the size and versatility, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. that's still not a sure thing. The versatility is like, we're almost grasping at straws at that point, but this is why these guys are in the third round. Yeah, for sure. And when I do think about a guy like Adam Thielen early in his career, he came out of nowhere and he was a, a late Untraft? breakout a late breakout player from a small school. And the reason he was able to get on the field was because one, it was special teams. So you'd like to see Tolbert have some willingness, even if it's on like tick kickoff and kick return and stuff like that. Even if he's not the kick returner, like just get on the field and do something. Like I remember clips of Adam Thielen, like blocking punts and stuff like that. So it's get on special teams and make an impact. And then it's be able to play anywhere on the field, wherever you're needed, just as a, as a plug-in guy. And if you start to show yourself in that way, you can carve out a bigger and bigger role. That's what Adam Thielen did. That's the path for Tolbert. And because he is so versatile, it's going to give him a better chance, even if he is one of these late day three picks, to make a roster. And with these picks, that's what it's all about. And the college production's insane, too. So that definitely helps his case. But, Steph, I'm going to go ahead and move on to my last guy. And this is going to be a name that's deep. It's someone we haven't talked about a lot. Uh, I think he's going to be available in a lot of fourth rounds in these drafts. It's Ty Chandler from UNC. I watched Ooh. a lot of their games this year. Mostly I was looking at Sam Howell. But Ty Chandler always, not always, but a lot of the time made a lot of pop plays. I'm thinking, who is this running back? I didn't even know he was draft eligible at the time. Didn't know a ton about him. And as I've dug more into Ty Chandler, he actually has quite a robust history at the college level. He's old. I mean, he's already almost 24 years old. Ooh. He's going to be like 24 and a half by the time the season starts. So that's one big flag, red flag for Ty Chandler. Another red flag, he's a transfer player who was relegated at his old school to a smaller role, and that's why he transferred. But he was a four-year player at Tennessee, transferred to UNC with that fifth year of COVID eligibility. At, at Tennessee, he was that 600-plus yard rusher, 
for several seasons for his sophomore and junior year. He was relegated to a backup role for his senior year. And essentially that's why he transferred for that COVID year to take on a bigger opportunity. He took advantage of the Javante Williams, Michael Carter sized gap at North Carolina. And it, it, paid off for him. He took over that backfield, had a breakout fifth year season, biggest year of his career, 182 carries over a thousand yards, 13 touchdowns on six yards per carry at UNC. Also added over 200 yards receiving through the air and he has special teams and kick return experience. So for as disappointing as it is that you got this guy who has 600 more yards for sophomore and junior year seems to get relegated. And then he goes to a new school and absolutely breaks out and is able to take on that RB one role it's at least exciting. So you start to think, okay, how athletic is this guy? Can this guy make a roster? Can this guy get drafted? And at the combine, I'd say he was one of the biggest winners, even though he is not a big name, comes in at 5'11", 204. So he's over that 200 pound threshold. That's so important. He runs a 4'38", 40-yard dash. So people are starting to turn their heads and they say, hey, I know this is a fifth year player, but he's pretty athletic and maybe he can make an impact in some way on our team. No, not as like a workhorse running back. No, not as a scat back. But I think a good comp for him is Raheem Mostert because Raheem Mostert was undrafted. Raheem Mostert, I dug into Raheem Mostert with this comp, and it was actually incredibly fun. Raheem Mostert only had 750 career rushing yards in college at Purdue, and he was primarily a kick returner, over 2,200 kick return yards. And so he was primarily a special teamer. He's undrafted. He makes it to the NFL, kind of a slow build for him, bouncing around from teams. He was returning kicks on teams, finally gets an opportunity to play running back makes an impact. He's this speed guy, the same exact size as Ty Chandler, 5'11", 205. And Raheem Mostert, we see what he is at the NFL level. He is a first and second down runner who has the potential to make that splash play with his speed. And when I think about Ty Chandler, if he can get drafted, I don't care if it's round five. I don't care if it's round six, honestly, even round seven. Like if this guy can get drafted, get into a training camp, he has that special teams experience working for him. Or similar to Tolbert. It's like if, if this guy can just get on a roster, Tolbert's versatility at the receiver position will help him. Ty Chandler's versatility, being able to be a running back and a backup guy, kind of like Kine and Wongu on the Vikings last year. Like start out, mm. maybe you're returning kicks. Maybe you can start to make an impact uh, at the NFL level because for Ty Chandler, yes, Raheem Mostert is the playing style, but he has much more of a robust profile and much more history, much more sample size at the running back position with his college production resume. So if he can get that day three draft capital, if he can make an NFL roster, I think he's an interesting stash in some of these dynasty leagues. I know he is a little bit older, so you're hoping, okay, maybe he can make that impact and, and get some work at the running back spot sooner rather than later. But you never know. And with a guy like Raheem Mostert, it took him a while, and he had some valuable years there late in his career with Ty Chandler. That's the hope. But he's probably going to be available in round four in a lot of these leagues. And I think he's a really fun flyer in case he can make a roster. We could talk about some of these deep prospects all day and we have i have all the way to the end of round four posted on our discord channel free link to join in the description down below in there all the time talking about trades breaking news player feedback we had a big debate juju smith schuster versus hollywood brown that was really fun of a debate to have in the discord but there's some other exciting names but it's like almost not even worth talking about these guys because if they don't get draft capital everything we throw out there is going to be irrelevant like i like hassan haskins not sure what is going to happen with him in the draft. I like Algier, but I don't know what that draft is going to look like. The athleticism was lacking at the combine. There's some question marks with him. I like guys like Calvin Austin, Jelani Woods at tight end. He's an explosive guy. And then my deep, deep, deep sleeper name at the running back position. Doubt this guy even gets drafted. But C.J. Verdell 
out of Oregon is another running back that I really like. But if you guys want to see us keep going down this rabbit hole with these deep prospects, let us know. We're going to assume that you don't because <laughs> this date is going to be probably irrelevant in a month from now. But that's it for today's episode. Really appreciate y'all listening and watching. We'll see y'all next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.